Once again, it's good to be here this evening. I certainly have appreciated everything that everyone has done and said over the last couple of days. You have been very encouraging to me. Uh, I haven't uh, preached very many gospel meetings, and I've always heard gospel preachers talk about a meeting is they get so much encouragement that that they are, are more blessed than uh, they think that the people that they've preached to. Well, I kind of feel that way. I, uh, a lot of folks have just really pumped me up. Now, I, I promise I'm not going to get the big head. I'm, uh, but I just, I just appreciate uh, to find out that people agree with me. Because I agree with Jesus Christ and about His church and, and what's found in the pages of God's Word. And it's just wonderful to have such a group of people that are as concerned about spiritual things as, as I am. If y'all turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, and in verse 7, Paul writes, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That statement, called to be saints. I think the world has taken that word as, as many other words have been taken and misused it. I had a Bible study with a woman one time and we, we were talking about different things and she said, well, you know, here's what I think. I think the reason that we don't have miracles today is because there's people, there's, nobody's righteous enough. Nobody is a saint today. Well, that's, if you pick up your Bible, that's not what you see. Anybody that hears the gospel and obeys it are called to be saints. Just as Paul, as, as if we would go back uh, into verse 1, he was called to be an apostle. We're all called to be saints. That's not a choice. It's not uh, some kind of a super Christian state. It's what every one of us is supposed to be. We're all saints. As I address you, I am addressing the saints of the Lord's church. Because that's what we're called to be. We have our calling. And so, we, we, so often, especially as a preacher, uh, I'm always getting asked about my calling. So, well, you have a calling. I said, well, yes, yeah, somebody called me on the phone. Uh, no, I, what happened is, is simply that uh, the, the turning point where I decided I wanted to preach is I was sitting in a gospel meeting back at Expressway, back in Louisville, and we had a fellow that, was, that, that we supported from uh, South Africa. I think his name was Raymond Harris. And he was preaching, and he was saying, there's only nine gospel preachers for the whole country of South, of South Africa. And, and I thought, well, I guess we need more gospel preachers. And so I decided to try to work myself into that direction. I, I think uh, I was listening to a lesson by Paul Earnhardt one time, 
And I think he got asked a similar question about, about a calling or whatever. And I think his response was simply, well, I gave myself to the Lord and I didn't know what I had. And that's just the opportunity that came out. I just have the ability to do something that uh, is, is necessary. Uh, someday I, I hope to go to South Africa. It's always been kind of my dream uh, to go there and, and help preach the gospel. Although I don't think I want to live there. Uh, I'll visit. Uh, I like my McDonald's too much and among other things. But we have this calling. We are called to be saints. What is a saint? That is one who is set apart, consecrated. I'm using uh, Zonervan's pictorial encyclopedia. Uh, that It's used as a noun to refer to members of the church. All believers are called saints even when their character is dubiously holy. The idea being that, okay, maybe you, you have a person that is very faithful. Oh, oh, maybe that person's a saint, but no. That, that person that is a child of God, but maybe they're having some problems in some areas. Well, they're a saint as well. They're still set apart. They're doing some work on that process, but they are saints as well. And one of the things that I, I think about with, with, with being one of the Lord's saints is that connects us to those people there in the first century. Uh, Noah and I, we're, we're kind of Civil War buffs. Every year we go over... Uh, to, to London. They have a big reenactment over there every year about October. And we'll go out there and we'll sit by and we'll watch them reenact. Uh, and that's the closest we're ever going to be to being in a Civil War battle. But you know what? As being a Christian, you're a part of all these generations of people who have put God first and dedicated their lives to serving Him, we are set apart for God's service for a special use to make this world actually a better place. There's a lot of people running around today saying, oh, we need to make the world a better place. Well, guess what? That's what we do. You want to know what's going to make this world a better place? More saints. What is a saint? Somebody who has obeyed the gospel. And you get more people obeying the gospel then this world will be a better place. We look over in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse 2. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that are in every place call upon the name of, the Lord, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Once again, we have that, that, that thing that he had just said to, to, the, to the Roman brethren. He's saying that, elaborating on it a bit more here with the Corinthians. Now, if you know much about the Corinthian letter, it kind of makes my point about even dubious Christians being referred to as saints. Because we know that the church in Corinth had a tremendous number of problems. There, there's a sense where it, it's almost funny because uh, he, Paul starts with the, talking to the saints in Corinth about problems they don't know he knows they have. 
which I think is kind of interesting because all, you know, it's like, okay, we've sent this letter to Paul. We're going to hear what he's got to say to us. And, oh, I didn't know he knew that. But you know what? They're still saints. They had their issues, and, and what they needed was correction. Paul provided that correction, and, and they moved on, uh, doing that which was right. We look over at, at, at Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 1. We see this same idea. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus. And to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Once again, that, that Ephesian church, how are they referred to? They're referred to as saints. And once again, how, how did they get to be saints? Well, they obeyed the gospel. That's how you do that. We go look over in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. How does he describe saints? What are the kind of characteristics that, that saints are to have? In, in, in Colossians chapter 1 uh, and in verse 9, I hate when I mention a passage then I don't turn the page. And, I, and the passage I start reading, Ephesians 1, 9, is not the passage I was looking forward to. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. One of the things that characterizes a saint is a knowledge of the will of God. Well, how do you get that? Well, at that time, before the... the uh, you know, sometimes I think people just sort of think that it, people didn't know what God wanted them to do until Paul wrote a letter. But in fact, Paul had been preaching to them. And we know from First and Second Corinthians, because of their perversion of the Lord's Supper... That that's not the way he had taught them. So everything that we have in the New Testament, that, that was what was being taught to them even before it was written down. And they needed to understand that. And we have it so easy. Because if you had Paul with you all the time, you could just ask Paul questions. Well, we can't have Paul with us. But you know what we can do is we can pick up his writings... Remember in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, how the disciples uh, were in the apostles' doctrine? Remember, Jesus Christ said, I'm going to uh, uh, get a little tongue-tied. Uh, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to guide you into all truth and to bring into remembrance all the things which I have said. Well, so a saint, somebody that's, that is concerned about the Word of God, that studies the Word of God, that knows the Word of God. That sets us apart from the world. So many people in the world, they just simply don't know the Word of God. And that's why they're so easily persuaded by false doctrines and individuals that, that have the gift of gab. You, know, you turn on the TV and there's these speakers and, and they're all slicked up and everything. And, and oh, they sound really good but they're not teaching the Word of God. 
And since these people, they don't pick up their Bibles and see what the Word of God says. There's a reason why we get in the pulpit and we do book, chapter, and verse preaching so that people know, hey, what I'm saying comes from the Word of God. I remember Danny one time, he was preaching a meeting at Pine Grove and somebody complimented him on the lesson. He just said, well, I just got it out of the Bible. And, and, and that's where they're supposed to come from. That's where, the, that's where we learn things. That's where the information that we must have comes. We have got to know the will of God. We look over Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. It says that we might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of the Lord. So we, we have to walk worthy. Now somebody might say, well, there's just no way I can be worthy. Well, that's true. We're, we're not going to be perfect. God doesn't expect us to be perfect. But you know what He does do? He expects us to try. He expects us to make an effort. There's not a single person here that cannot make an effort. I was kind of fumbling through uh, Facebook a few minutes ago and, and they had a picture of a young man playing video games. He had no arms or legs. You know, I'm sometimes inspired by folks like that. What, is he, what did he do? He wanted to do something and he figured out a way with what he had to do it. Well, we've got all kinds of resources and we need to walk worthy. We can do something. And of course, the thing about doing something is as you do something, you will get better at it. This building kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, the building where I preached my first sermon. I had preached a few uh, invitations and things like that. And, and I went up there at West Mason Congregation and... Uh, and it was my first full-length sermon. And they, too, had a door right there. And it, it, there's a couple of things that, that, that was a first for me on that day. It's the first time I'd ever seen a groundhog. And they were infested with them. And I remember sitting out in the car going, what is that thing? <laughs> I'd never seen one before. But I can remember getting up in the pulpit. And I was just absolutely terrified. All I could really see was just the path right there and that door. <laughs> and I thought how wonderful it would be to be on the other side of that door. But I managed to sort of stay in the pulpit. I preached my, I preached my introduction. Got a little preachy, lost my place in my lessons, went straight to the conclusion. The whole sermon lasted five minutes. <laughs> the song leader was, was sitting over here, and he liked to take notes. And I never will forget that all of a sudden I saw papers flying up in his pen because he had to get up and lead the invitation song. I often wondered why in the world I had to try out because I think I showed him, yeah, this guy needs some help. Well, that was over 25 years ago. And I, and I think I've gotten a little bit better since then. Why? Because I've done it over and over and over again. And, I, and I've been with people that have preached the gospel. And I have been taught by the best. And so we can walk worthy of the Lord. We are to please Him. 
Do we consider, is this pleasing to God, the things that we do? If we have given ourselves to the Lord, we need to be concerned about what He, he wants. We look in verse 11. Where do we get our strength? Strengthen with all might according to His glorious power unto his, all patience and longsuffering with joy, joyfulness. Where do we get our strength? You know, sometimes people are just stubborn. Say, I'm, not go, I'm, I'm just going to keep trying. But through prayer and asking God to help and, 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 and studying our Bibles, we can, uh, we can be strengthened. There's strength in the Word of God. Many times I, I've been depressed about this, that, or the other. Uh, that just, that just kind of happens. You know, bad things happen to us. And so there's so much comfort in the Word of God. There's so much comfort in prayer. And you look at these last few years of all the difficulties our country has had thanks to COVID and different things. One thing that I, I constantly think about that gives me comfort is that Jesus Christ is on his throne. No matter what happens here, he's still there. It's all going to work out. We're going to win. And we need to be strengthened by that. We're on the winning side. And we need to live like we're on the winning side. We have that strength. And then, of course, we come on down to verse 12 of Colossians chapter 1. Giving thanks unto the Father which made us to meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. We have an inheritance. We have a future. And we need to give thanks for that. We need to be thankful for what God has done for us. And it's not because He needs to hear us say thank you. It's because we need to say thank you. We need to appreciate what God has done. And He's done a lot. And... And you think about how he sent his son to die upon that cross so that we can have that hope of heaven. That's, that's the greatest thing that he's done. There's been a whole lot of other things that he's done for us. And we need to be thankful for that. Our hope is rich and it is glorious. We look over in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, and in verse 8. Excuse me, verse 18. The, eye, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of, your, of His calling and, that the, and, the, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. You know, have you ever just kind of just sat down and thought about what heaven's going to be like? We sometimes sing songs about that. As saints, we have such a wonderful future. And of course, uh, we need to be appreciative to the God that gave it to us. But it is our hope. 
We look over in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7. Then in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. When you read the Bible, have you ever noticed it's, when it's talking about something good about God and His gifts, there's never just one word, it seems like. If, you talk, if we, go, we go to Peter and, to, and hear about exceeding great and precious promises, could, he could, you know, how, how do you just describe how great uh, what God has in store for us with just one word? And here, it's not just riches. It's exceeding riches. That are for who? His saints, His people, His flock, His church. That is our hope. And we also know that God cannot lie. And so if He promises a thing, you know, God promised a thing, it's going to come to pass. There have been times in my life that I've made promises that I couldn't keep. I fully intended to keep them, but there's things in this life that can overpower what I desire to do. There's nothing that can overpower God and what He desires to do. He is the creator of all things. There's nothing that can stop God. And so when God makes a promise, it is going to be fulfilled. Now, I might want to note, there's a lot of His promises that are good, but we also need to be aware that there's some promises that aren't so good. There's going to be justice. And for those that do not obey the gospel, We look over in 2 Peter chapter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3. And beginning in verse 13. Nevertheless we according to His promise look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore beloved seeing that ye look for such things be diligent that ye may be found in Him in peace without spot and blameless. We have, we have this future, this wonderful, wonderful future that is just, just over the hill. You know, sometimes we, we'll utilize that phrase, over the hill, in kind of a negative way. I don't know if I'm over the hill or not, but I just know I'm tired. But on the other side of that hill is our Lord. Not far. Time passes quickly as you get older. I remember when I was a kid, it seemed like summer lasted forever. And now I kind of catch myself, which year is this? Of course, the last couple of years have been, I don't want to remember. We look over in Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them, and, and he be their God. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are, all, are passed away. And He... He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, it, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that uh, is a thirst of the fountain of the, of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and, and he shall be my son. You know, sometimes people get so bent out of shape about the book of Revelation because it's so picturesque. Steve Wolfgang, when I was in school in Danville many years ago, told a story of these young preachers that were in Bible college. And they were in a class about Revelation. And... And as they were talking about it, as they left the class, there was a janitor there that was sweeping the floor. And, and they were talking about it. And the janitor said, you know what? I can summarize the book of Revelation in two words. And these newly young preachers or fellows going to be preachers, oh, really? What is it? God wins. That's what's going to happen. Everything is going to unfold according to God's plan. And we need to be part of that plan. To be His saints. That is our hope. That is our future. We are called by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not by the, the whims of men or, or anything else. We look into the pages of God's Word and, and we see commands to obey. It's not that those commands are in and of themselves save us. It is the desire to do what God says to do. If we've given ourselves to Him, He has expectations of effort on our part. So many people, they just don't understand that. From the very foundation of the world, you know, sometimes we talk about work being a four-letter word. But you don't get out of Genesis chapter 2 without hearing that word. Because God put Adam and Eve in the garden to tend the garden. What is tending? That's work. God always has intended His people to work. Work is a wonderful thing. It is a blessing. Especially if it's something that is uh, given to us by Him. My problem so often when it comes to work is knowing what to do. I, I need direction. If it's around the house, you know, if Mary tells me uh, what to do, you know, well, then I know what to do, assuming that I remember or I heard her. <clears throat> but when we know what to do, it just makes it so much easier. And, and we are called to be obedient. Jesus said, if ye love me, keep my commandments. 
It's the blood of Christ that has saved us. But we still have to do what he says. He is our master. He is our king. We have things that we must believe. We look over at 1 Corinthians, excuse me. Uh, I think I just invented a book. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We come to the Gospel, we, we see what Jesus did for us. And we have things to obey. We got promises to receive. And how do we respond to that? We respond to it by being obedient to the gospel. We look over 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers, for fathers, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, of mothers uh, for manslayers. You know, we needed God's law to tell us what to do. And that's what God did by His grace. And so we become saints. We become His children through the gospel. We put off that old man and walk in newness of life. Being a saint is not being some kind of a super Christian. It's not uh, you have performed so many miracles and so uh, some kind of ecumenical council is going to get together and decide whether or not you're going to be a saint. Hey, I've, I've got a pretty cool coin trick I do from time to time. That's one. I've got, I've got a, a penny that it's a penny on one side and a dime on another. Sometimes I'll take it and show it to the kids and I'll, I'll flip it over in my hand. There's two, I guess. That's nonsense. It's easy to see in the pages of God's Word who God's saints are. God's saints are His people who have obeyed His gospel and, and, and dedicate their lives to serving Him, to be the kind of people that He wants them to be, who are set apart. They're not running with the world. They want to be with Him. And there's that passage, there's a passage that I read just a few moments ago in the book of Revelation that I'm so looking forward to. I'm looking forward to the day that Jesus wipes the tears from my eyes. He's going to do that. All the pains and troubles of this world are going to go away. And we're going to have a new place to live. Why? Because we've been sanctified. We've been made ready to go there because we are His saints. And we need to carry that name and call each other saints. 
The saints here at Lakeside, you are saints. You are a part of the Lord's church that was established on the day of Pentecost that Jesus promised. We are part of the greatest organization of history. This wonderful blood-bought institution. If there's someone here this evening that has not been obedient to the gospel, and you're not part of that, we don't teach something that we thought up. We teach what comes from the Word of God. You've got, you've got to come to Jesus. You've got to believe that He is. You have to believe what He says. You've got to repent of your sins. I tell you now, if you, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You've got to confess Him before men and be buried in that water grave of baptism. And then you'll start the life of a saint, constantly perfecting yourself with the help of our Lord and having that grand and glorious future with Him. Anyone subject to the gospel call this evening, why don't you come now as we stand and as we sing.